listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. All right, well, we're just going to start um, kind of a recap of what Anne-Marie said, but um, yeah, so hi, my name is Dan Breitweiser, and this is my wife, Jen. We've got two young children, Noah's four and Lucy's two and a half, and this is our faith story. There's a song we sing on a regular basis here at Faith Church. It's a good song, but for the last 19 months and 22 days, it's one that Jen nor I can sing without weeping. Actually, there's a few songs that fit into this category, but for this one specifically, when the first line pops up on the screen, we know exactly what the other is thinking and doing. We can't look at each other because it only makes the tears worse. You probably know it. It goes like this. And probably the only way we'll get through this is because I'm speaking it, not singing it. Um, I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. So what comes to mind when you sing those words? Is it the mountaintops and rainbows? Are you prepared to sing those words, whatever may come, no matter how deep the waters are? Is there something God could do in your life that would cause you to question his goodness or perhaps walk away from him entirely? Dan and I certainly pray that is not the case. We want to share our story today to deepen your trust and faith in an almighty God who can do all things, yet doesn't act in ways as we would. In fact, when we had to come up with the title for this, we went with Deep Waters, Deeper Faith. We give you everything. We want you to be encouraged that when deep waters come, God will act in amazing ways to be your rock and foundation when storms may come. We also want to challenge you to be putting in the work now to deepen your faith so that you can be as prepared and fortified when those storms first start to blow. Because trust us, they come out of nowhere and rarely with any warning. In fact, for me, I don't think I really had a real storm in my life for the first 30 plus years. So as uh, Amory shared already, many of you know, I actually grew up in this church close to 30 years ago. My parents, David and Marin, were attending a church in a different denomination, but didn't like the direction it was heading and started looking for a new church home. After a number of Sundays of searching, we ended here um, back when there were two traditional services, red pews in the sanctuary and a huge hill on the side of the building. I made a personal decision. Some of you guys remember that. I made a personal decision to follow Jesus at an early age, somewhere around five or six years old, when I asked my mom some questions before bed while reading a picture Bible. Overall, I was a shy kid and a good student who took my faith seriously. In fact, I remember in fifth grade, I was so upset or maybe offended by the use of the Lord's name used in Bridge to Terabithia that was part of the class curriculum that my mom contacted the teacher and I had to read a different book. But I think I was also super shy and embarrassed about my Christian faith too. For me, mission trips in high school were absolutely life-changing. Each one that I took advanced my confidence in my faith by leaps and bounds, as well as willingness to share with my friends, often just by inviting them to youth group because it was fun. From the outside, I'm not sure how or why a single week during the summer would make such an impact on the other 51 weeks of the year, but that is truly my testimony. 
if you would have asked me if I was a Christian before the first one, I probably would have stuttered and said, yes. But several years later, I would answer without hesitation and be willing to really have a dialogue about it. So I went away to college at Syracuse University in upstate New York after graduating from North Central High School to major in broadcast journalism. As a kid, when I found out that Bob Costas got paid to talk about basketball on NBC, I decided that was a pretty sweet job. Up to that point, I think I just thought the commentators volunteered their time like the coach of my YMCA basketball team because they only had to work one day a week, right? When I went to college, I thought I might find something better and switch career paths. And while I did switch to news, I never found something I like to do more than to know what's going on, write stories, and stand up and fight for fairness and for people who can't fight for themselves, fight for themselves and especially to fight hypocrisy. After graduating, I took a TV reporting job in Lawton, Oklahoma, then Gainesville, Florida, Terre Haute, and finally my first anchoring job in Lafayette. I could give you a separate spiel about God working in each of those jobs and locations and bringing me to those specific places at those specific times, but that is not for today. Things were not always easy or perfect. I certainly was not perfect. But again, throughout my life, and I know through Jen's life, we had so many godly people who poured into us, parents, youth pastors, youth group leaders, some of you who still attend and volunteer, looking at you, Mark West, who's not here, and Maggie Hooten, who is, <laughs> friends, young adult pastors, uh, you name it, we were blessed with them. Each individual and each experience strongly impacted us in our relationships with God. God's goodness was actively seen, and we collectively thank God for his protection and grace to not really have reason to question his purpose in our lives. Um, I was raised in a Christian home where both my parents loved the Lord. The gospel was something I knew at a young age, and in my young mind, it only made sense to ask God to forgive my sins so that I could be a Christian like my parents and most of the people I knew. My dad worked for a parachurch organization that presented church materials to kids and teen groups called Word of Life. Word of Life also has camps and Bible colleges all over the world. We were financially supported by churches, which also meant our family traveled to those churches on a regular basis. My family was fully immersed in camps, mission trips, teen activities, and church services, and we really loved it. I always knew growing up the only um, the only except, ex expectation <laughs> the only expectation my parents had for me and my siblings after high school was to attend one year of Bible Institute at the Word of Life Bible Institute. All the counselors that I had had every year at camp were students at Word of Life. And I always wanted to be just like them when I grew up, so that was not a problem. I attended my first year in Florida, because why not, and then transferred to, transferred to the second year program in Scream Lake, New York, which is about an hour north of Albany. I worked back in Florida the following year in the Dean's Department, and then my student visa ran, ran out, because yes, I'm Canadian. Um, so I went back home without much of a plan for my life. Um, by this point, my dad had become a pastor at the church we attended while I was in high school. My dad said that I was welcome to live with him and mom um, if I agreed to attend a biblical counseling conference in Lafayette, Indiana with him that he went to every year. I quickly agreed. I ended up getting involved in his rural church, um, renting space as an esthetician, and painting interiors of houses with my mom part-time. And you got it, I attended the week-long conference in Lafayette. I was involved in women's ministry, had daily interaction with hurting women who were getting their nails done, 
and just was feeling so much conflict because I didn't know how to connect the truth I knew about the Bible to their lives. Frankly, I didn't really know how to connect those truths for myself. The conference was life-changing for me. For the first time, biblical truths I already knew and loved were connecting on a much more personal and heart level. Speakers were using words to articulate what was on my heart for so long but didn't have the understanding to communicate to others. The host church was in the process of building a residential treatment center called Vision of Hope to help struggling um, struggling women with crisis pregnancies, um, eating disorders, drug and alcohol abuse, and habits of self-harm. My second year at the conference, I took a tour of, tour of the building. I remember thinking I have to be involved in this ministry. A couple years later, I was accepted for an internship there that turned into a job that kept me in Lafayette for a total of six years. It was an amazing part of God's good plan for my life. An amazing church with inspired, inspired and challenging preaching and teaching. I felt so blessed for the front row seat I had watching God redeem so much pain and chaos in the ladies at Vision of Hope. God in his grace wanted me to see his power demonstrated through the trenches of life. It wasn't something I had much exposure to at that point, but needed to see to make me desperate for him. I saw how God's goodness always triumphed the hard and messiness the world offered. Oh, and thanks to my job, I got my permanent residency card to live in the United States shortly after Dan and I met. No matter what he might say, I did not marry him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a matter of discussion for another time. But that's where we met, actually vacuuming together as we served at the church together as part of our Sunday school class. We had a couple of experiences together, including a lasagna cook-off between Jen and our roommate, where I served as a judge along with a few others. And I won, by the way. Even if I voted for her roommate, because it was better lasagna. Um, there was a bet which she forced me to say, pretty feet on television. And as a result, I got a month's worth of cookies hand-delivered. I could go on. Truly, we just had fun together most of the time with other groups of people around. I was convinced way before Dan that this relationship was more than just friends. Um, one, one night, Dan told me he had something he wanted to talk about through a series of events that he was unaware of. I thought he was coming to tell me he was dating somebody else when he was actually coming to ask if I would date him. I was beyond thrilled. We started dating in October 13, 2013, got engaged almost a year later in September on September 7th, 2014, and were married April 11th, 2015. We had both known that we would eventually have to leave our familiar place of comfort and support in Lafayette for another job somewhere else. We knew that would be tough because we had a great support system through our church body, our friends, and jobs we both enjoyed. In our relationship together, both dating and married, we consistently saw and praised God for how much we had been given and loved serving together in a church we loved, surrounded with like-minded people who lived life together, encouraged, and helped us live out our faith. We were excited to duplicate the same environment we enjoyed so much in a new place. We are aggressive in our desire to establish ourselves in our new home. It was just us, together moving to Huntington, West Virginia. We used the hashtag hunting for adventure. Our first big adventure together, Little did we know our desires would be challenged fully and disappointment would quickly become one of the main themes of our thought out adventure. So we were super excited for my new job. 
after applying to places all around the country, Huntington, West Virginia is just a four hour drive from Indianapolis, as well as where Jen's sister and family live south of Fort Wayne. The pay was great, almost double what I made in Lafayette. Hours were perfect, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And I could do the two things I love to do most, anchor and report. The station there is a powerhouse with some of the highest ratings in the country. In fact, my first week there, I was standing in line at the deli counter at Kroger, dressed in shorts, t-shirt and flip-flops. And this little old lady turns around and asked me if I was the new anchor at WSAZ. It was an eye-opening experience to say the least. We jumped right in trying to find a church, even going to two services at different churches on some Sunday mornings to help speed up the process for us to find a church home. It took a little while, but eventually we found a smaller one we liked and quickly got involved in a small group where we were able to make friends that we saw more than just at church. Jen got pregnant about a month after we moved. Within about four months, we were able to find, uh, able to close on a house in the perfect location, about five minutes away from my work and super close to a beautiful walking trail along a stream in a park. We loved our new home. It was perfect to grow into as we wanted to have more children. We had wonderful and caring neighbors as well. All these things excited us to settle our hearts in Huntington. We could see it totally being our home for many years to follow. But storm clouds started forming in the horizon. The first one was the birth of our son Noah in March. While I loved being pregnant and it was super smooth, the delivery and two months after were both super hard. Looking back, I would say that I was suffering from postpartum depression and didn't know it or didn't want to admit it. I, um, I could not get out of the funk that I was in. I was lonely, tired, was, was doing good if I only cried once a day and seemed to be in a constant cycle of panic and confusion on what to do with my new baby and how to love my husband in a place I didn't have the same support network I had developed over six plus years in Lafayette. As the hormones leveled out, however, um, I felt more supported and felt more supported through mummy friendships that were slowly starting to develop about nine months. After nine months, I was excited at the thought of having another baby. Noah and Lucy are almost 18 months apart. West Virginia was a really hard place too. We often felt like outsiders at both work and church, sometimes because we didn't grow up there. For example, for Noah's birthday party, not a single invited guest showed up for until 30 minutes after the start time. Who does that? While we did make some married and dear friendships that felt cliquish, even amongst our small group, we decided to take the approach that if we are going to be positive motivators for change, um, we would have to really try to welcome new people, but it was difficult and lonely at times. There were also additional difficulties when one of the founding pastors at the church we were attending felt God's call to leave to a church in Virginia, and many people who were connected decided to attend other places in Huntington. The church didn't have an appointed group of elders and deacons at that time, so it was a big mess. We know God called us to that church, and his goodness shown in the pruning process that ensued as more people left. So after being poured into for so many years, we knew it was our turn to be poured out and doing more leading, but it was still difficult. And again, we didn't have the strong support system we'd been so used to in all the other places we lived in for most of our lives. Another storm cloud was my job. One year into my three-year contract, my boss called me in and said he wasn't very happy with my performance. We had a good talk about what they wanted to see. I worked on what they wanted and kept checking in with him regularly. I never uh, heard another negative word, but with about six months to go, 
was told that my contract would not be renewed. But by far, the biggest storm cloud of all was number four, Noah's developmental delays. When he was one and still not walking, our pediatrician recommended, we, recommended that we get him into the state's free birth to three program. It eventually got to the point where we had four specialists, or four therapists in different special, specialties coming to the house. We all expected to see dramatic improvements, but it wasn't the case. We would go um, with others to the park. Noah would screech with excitement to see all the kids, but immediately sit next to me as happy as he could be and eat snacks while all the other kids would play. The PTOT speech and developmental therapist who had become some of our precious friends and support system all, system all agreed that something wasn't connecting. Our pediatrician ran some tests to rule out a few things and Noah's CK levels came back elevated. That's an enzyme which leaks out of, of the muscle which is damaged. He wasn't sure what that meant and referred us to a neurologist who assumed it was definitely, it definitely wasn't high enough to be Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which is fatal in most people these days in their early 30s. If he had a guess, um, it might be a milder form of muscular dystrophy called Becker's, which can go undiagnosed for decades. Gene testing was our next step, but we'd have to wait for months at, that, at this point. And at this point, we knew we were leaving West Virginia. And by this point, Lucy had been born, and truly, we were thankful, all things considered, that my contract was not renewed because the job description and pay had been such good things, it would have been tough for us to leave. God's goodness led the way in so many ways, big and small. Our house sold in West Virginia. We bought a, bought a house in Carmel that dropped about 30 grand from the first time we looked at it until we could make an offer. I was able to get a job at Wish TV pretty easily. It was a pay cut, but we considered Indy home and did not want to go anywhere else. Like the Israelites, we felt like we had left our desert wandering and entered into the promised land. Almost exactly two years ago, actually, June 26th, 2019, we loaded up, moved back to Indiana, and vowed to never do it again with toddlers. We visited a number of different churches. Dan also knew way before me that Faith Church was going to be our local church. There was one in particular that I had my heart set on, and Dan took much pleasure in my dreams crumbling when, it, when we actually attended. We decided to try a sneaky visit when Dan's parents, David and Mary, were on vacation for an honest evaluation in the fall. And it just took one Sunday school class for me to whisper in Dan's ear that we had found our church. We loved the fellowship, the genuine friendliness from people who approached us, assuming we were strangers, the depth of discussion in classes and in the sermons. Everyone welcomed and loved on our kids, and we met so many people who knew us because they had been praying for us for years. We quickly made friends and felt super refreshed after Sundays. That was September 1st, 2019. But the biggest storm cloud of all came about seven weeks later on October 22nd. We got the call from the pediatric neurologist at Riley. The genetic testing was back. Noah had Duchenne muscular dystrophy. For those who don't know, it's a disease where the body's muscles cannot make dystrophin, which does a lot of things. The simplest way to explain it is when lifting um, weights, you know, you're lifting weights like this, um, you're actually breaking your muscle, sounds, muscle cells down and rebuilding a stronger cell. Noah's muscle cells cannot repair themselves. There's no cure, and because um, it's so serious, and, and it is so serious because your heart is a muscle too. So usually a wheelchair is required around age 11 or so, 
And while the expected lifespan has expanded, it's usually fatal to people with DMD in their early 30s. That week was awful and filled with a lot of tears. Frankly, just looking at him, whether playing in the morning or at night when he was asleep in his crib, when I would get home from work, brought tears to my eyes. As a father, I would have given anything to take that away from him. Carry that disease myself. It was a really powerful picture to me of what Christ did for us on the cross, as well as the emotional toll from God the Father sending his son Jesus to suffer on our behalf. Noah's diagnosis was so hard for me to grasp. While our son had just received a fatal diagnosis with no cure, nothing immediately changed. The one thing I did know, that I was not just spiraling out of control, I had no control or even the ability to comprehend. I knew I did not want to think about the reality of losing my son to this disease. I knew I did not like feeling useless to help him. I knew I did not like thinking about this uncertain future and all the medical terminology and appointments. I knew I could not sit through a worship service at church without weeping. I knew I felt a daily panic in my chest that would attack it, that could attack at any moment. I knew in my head I was grieving and needed to be honest with my pain, but I tried, desperately tried, to ignore all of this. I found myself in a place where I was afraid to go to bed at night and have any, or have any quiet time alone with my peers. I was staying up super late, distracting myself, hoping to avoid thinking about the reality of, of all of this. I found myself mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted, either being a weepy, hot mess, or an angry wife and mother. I hated this battle. My breaking point was that Halloween. Noah, had, Noah fell and broke his front tooth on our tile floor. While him falling was more of a toddler thing than a Duchenne thing, now whenever I look at Noah, I saw his missing front tooth. I was reminded of his disease. I could not lie to myself anymore. The anxiety and anger were regular and getting out of control. Despite my best attempts to gain, to gain the control, I felt I had lost when my son was diagnosed with a disease I had never heard of. I, need, I knew that I needed help processing this suffering. After Noah's diagnosis, the staff here at Faith gave us a book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Deep Mercy which was written by Mark Van Brogop. He's the lead pastor at College Park Church. In the book, Mark says, lament is how we bring our sorrows to God. Without lament, we don't know how to process pain. I knew I needed help and accountability to grieve in a way that would bring glory to God. So I reached out to a biblical counselor who I had worked with at Vision of Hope and had along with her husband done our premarital counseling. I felt as though I had been introduced to 1 Peter 5-7 for the first time. While it is such a common verse, it became my access to truth, truthful lament, and honest grieving, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Run to him, not with demands for answers or even solutions to make the anxiety go away. Give them to God. Lord, I give you was my prayer as I spent weeks keeping a log of all of my anxieties, big and small. 
the application of First Peter 5-7 turned into a celebration of how, of how he cares for me and my fears. It brought me to a safe place where I could wrestle with my accusations, doubts, and angers regarding the, God's good intentions toward me and my suffering. Also in the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark says, Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. This was huge to understand the grace that was mine in this process. In counseling, we also focused on creating time to be still and allow myself to think, which included nighttime routine that forced me to not distract and avoid being real with my pain. Lastly, I was tasked with being intentional and loving my husband daily and believing the best about him, making no allowance for assumptions without asking him first. In my suffering, I would get so mad at him and act out of anger often. I was a loose cannon, cannon with no warning for when I would blow. I hated how I was acting, but felt stuck in a cycle that fooled me into believing that Dan was against me, I was alone, and I had to fight back. Upon further reflection, I realized he was standing in my way of getting what I so desperately craved, control. A perfect example of what James explains when he asks what causes quarrels and fights among you, you kill and destroy. Repenting of that inordinate desire for control has been something that has been a regular part of this process for me and acts as a red flag to be on the lookout for. So I'm wired a little bit differently, despite all the talk of tears so far and choking up so far, I'm truly a very logical and rational person. I'm also pretty stubborn and set in my ways. So it was difficult, but in my mind, I was set that God is good and that didn't change. One of my best friends from college had just lost his three-year-old to a rare pediatric cancer months earlier, but through a blog, they really honored and trusted in God. And that really helped because I didn't have to feel like I had to blaze a new trail. I could just follow in their footsteps. Duchenne is a sex-linked disease, which means it's almost exclusively in boys and often carried by the mother. But there's also a good minority of cases which are random mutations. And with Jen having a lot of uncles with red hair and other males with no one showing any symptoms, we thought it was unlikely she was a carrier. So we went ahead with genetic testing, but at the same time, we're talking about trying for another child because it was always our goal to have three or four kids, all pretty close in age. We were surprised to find out that Jen was a carrier. So that meant any future boys would have a 50% chance of having DMD and any girls would have a 50% chance of being a carrier. While the news about Noah was devastating, we agreed that he brought so much joy to our lives. We were willing to take that risk. And so a few months later, we started trying for another child. When further genetic testing revealed that I was indeed a carrier of the Duchenne gene, the doctor advised that I go and get an EKG of my heart. Sometimes carriers of DMD have issues later in life. So the idea is to get a baseline now so that if things happen when I got older, I would have something to measure it by. I kept getting referred up the chain of specialists, though, and finally had an appointment downtown, so Dan decided to come with me. The, point, the doctor comes in and introduced himself as the heart failure transplant cardiologist. Except he said it like this, heart failure transplant cardiologist. And I said, excuse me? What was your specialty? So he repeated it a little more slowly heart failure, transplant, cardiologist. Then he went on to explain that Jen's heart 
was about 30% bigger than it's supposed to be. And she was in stage two of heart failure. So that means there's damage to um, the organ, but she's not feeling the effects of it or limited in her activities by shortness of breath. That's stage three. And stage four would be a heart transplant. Now, we all believe it's a result of Jen being a carrier, although no one can know for sure. While medicine can help slow the progression, there's no way to reverse it. And about the only thing that can really accelerate it would be pregnancy, because that's like a nine-month-long stress test on the heart. Wow. We were beyond shocked. And it was three days before Valentine's Day. As if that wasn't enough to process, he finished our appointment with a, oh, and you need to be on a double contraceptive. Neither of us said anything, but we both knew immediately. Um, but we both knew the immediate disappointment our hearts were experiencing. Mine especially, because we just found out it was bigger than Dan. <laughs> In all seriousness, no, though we were, both of us were devastated. We had gone through so much in just the last few months, and we felt like we were coming out on the other side of it just to have that rug pulled out underneath us. It's one thing to decide your family is complete. It's something entirely different when you're told your family is now complete. Conceiving had never been a problem for us, but suddenly I was jealous and mad about all the people at work getting pregnant, especially those with healthy children at home. And as a complete side note, I just want to say my Heart goes out to every single couple who has trouble conceiving, as well as those who miscarry. For couples who are able to stay together through that has to be one of the most difficult things to go through in marriage. That takes incredible strength. It was a pretty difficult month for us, though, actively hoping we were not pregnant. And in a different way, I was almost as devastating just thinking about all the milestones that Lucy had passed that we were never going to experience again. Like we didn't soak them up as much as we should have. Even silly things like a favorite onesie we never get to see again on one of our children. Two weeks after the diagnosis, Faith Church started their sermon series on lamentations. Wow, talk about timing. Not to mention the pandemic really taking off a few weeks later. I was so proud and impressed with my wife, though. She cut salt out of her diet, which was a big thing, and eventually went to a plant-based diet. That plus modern medicine has made a huge difference, and we're thankful to God for it. Jen's ejection fraction, which was 35% last February, was up to 43% last fall and out of the danger zone. Danger zone. She's not experiencing any symptoms that would cause concern and now just has to check in annually. I knew I wanted to be as healthy as I could, especially with the, un with the foreseen needs Noah would have when he got older. One happy update for our family last fall, we decided we would explore the process of adopting a child. While we worked with the, uh, we work, we are working with a local adoption agency and we're approved right after Christmas. The agency works with local families and we also have a profile up online. But at this point, we're just waiting for the call. Both my sister and brother have fostered or adopted in addition to having their own children. So it's kind of fun to be doing it ourselves. So we've worked through a lot, but there's still one more storm cloud to talk about. And it's one that we're actively working through right now, gene therapy. Basically, scientists have developed the technology to use a harmless virus with no known side effects to humans as a delivery vehicle or vector to deliver a miniature version of the DMD gene to human muscle cells, which can then start to produce a version of the enzyme and protect the muscle cells themselves. 
Soon after Noah's diagnosis, we were told about this amazing gene therapy, which was still very much experimental. Now, Noah wouldn't qualify for any trial until he was at least four years old, but it was amazing to think that if Noah had been born 10 years earlier, it would have been too late, as is the case for some of the parents we talked to in the muscular dystrophy community here in our area. We made a trip in September to see one of the world's foremost authorities in DMC, who is doing some of the research at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus. It was, an, it was amazing to realize when nurses would ask Noah, did he fly there? Because families do from all over the world, and we just had a three-hour drive. All signs seemed positive, and we just had to do an antibody test to make sure Noah didn't somehow become, come in contact with the virus and develop antibodies. But when his body, uh, because when his body, because then his body would know to fight the gene therapy, and it wouldn't work as well, and most importantly, he wouldn't be part, he couldn't take part in the experimental therapy. In our heads, it seemed fairly obvious, basically, God is good. He's given us this fatal disease in, in his sovereign goodness. He also put Noah in a time and place where he could get, where he could get this life-altering therapy he so desperately needs. Except the call comes from a week later from the hospital. Noah's levels are too high. At current levels, he wouldn't qualify once he turns four. That was another rough moment. I mean, come on, God, can't you just give us this one? We retested the antibodies once Noah turned four and they were still too high. There were two other drug companies developing similar gene therapies, but using a different virus as a vector. There's even a drug trial going on right now in Canada about an hour away from my brother and his family, where my brother and his family live. So we thought, how crazy if Noah's dual citizenship is what somehow gets him into this trial because the sites in the United States haven't opened up yet. So we tested Noah for antibodies for that virus too. And about six weeks ago, found out that his levels are elevated for that too. So that's the deep water we're walking through right now. We talked to several different experts and there's some hope. Perhaps things get approval from the FDA. Other methods are developed for getting around the antibody problem, but all things are likely a couple years down the road. But it's a constant yo-yo. Even this week, the doctor in Columbus told us that he's asked the drug company to do another trial for boys like Noah, who are just slightly above the cutoff line. So now we wait, we pray, we trust in the rooted belief that God is good. If he knew all that, uh, sorry, if we knew all that he knows, we would do the exact same thing he has chosen to do in our lives and in Noah's life. And so when the line on the screen in the sanctuary pops up, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. We sing it, probably not loudly because our voices crack, and most definitely with tears streaming down our face, but we sing it. Your mercy never fails me. All my life, I've been held in your hands. So what about you? Are you living rooted in the goodness of God? With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. We're not perfect. There are moments that we struggle and question it. But truthfully, can we say we give everything to God? Yes, even our health. And even our son. The disappointment and difficulties have not stopped. And there will be times in your life, whether right now or just around the corner, when they will arrive on your doorstep, doorstep as well. 
We continue to be challenged to trust God, especially where Noah is concerned. So I go back to what we said at the beginning of this. Is there something God could do in your life that would cause you to question his goodness or perhaps walk away from him entirely? Think of Job's example. Have you placed your trust and faith in an almighty God who can do all things, yet doesn't act in ways as we would? We would encourage you that God can be your rock when storms may come, because trust us, they come out of nowhere and rarely with any warning.